Now the question gnaws at us, how can I be sure? How can I be sure that I am truly saved? It was 1994, I lived in Cardiff and I was uh, training to be a a lawyer and every day I would travel to college uh, with a fellow Christian. And my memories of those uh, journeys were the number of times he asked me, how can I be sure that I am a Christian? He was the kindest friend, loved Jesus, loved the Bible and was very involved in his church but he struggled with assurance. And despite my best efforts, I never felt convinced that I offered him any words that really brought him comfort. I was with a Bible college professor just a few weeks ago, and he has a particular ministry amongst elderly people. And he was saying to me that this question, how can I be sure that I'm saved, causes particularly older people lots of anxiety. They worry about this issue. Despite the fact that many of them have lived a long life of loving Jesus, they struggle to have certainty. They long for assurance. And it would appear that there are believers in the time of John who felt much the same way. And in our passage before us this this lunchtime, John seeks to offer assurance. And he does this by offering two tests. Two tests that we can test ourselves against. The test of righteousness and the test of love. So let's have a look first at the test of righteousness. Now we may be one of those people who struggles uh, with a lack of assurance. Or it may be that we know someone who is in that place and we'd love to be able to help them. Well, this is clearly how the Apostle John is feeling. It's largely why he writes his letter, his concern for the spiritual well-being of the people he's writing to. They're like my friend, Alan, who just wanted to be sure for certain that he was a Christian. And you'll remember from last week that John begins his letter by reminding his readers that he was an eyewitness of Jesus, that he knew him personally. Chapter 1, verse 2, we saw Jesus with our eyes and our hands touched him. Now he's saying, I've seen our Lord in the flesh and therefore I speak with authority. What I'm about to say to you, you can, be, you can believe. What I'm about to say to you can give you assurance. Now John has already teed up um, the test of righteousness. Uh, are you doing what Jesus commands? Already back there in chapter 1 verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. In other words, we can't claim to have a relationship with God if we live in a way that is not God-honouring. Now, you'll already see where the test of righteousness is going. It's very straightforward. It's fundamental Christian teaching. And at one level, it is obvious. And in our verses before us, John unpacks the test clearly. In three steps. Just take a look with me, would you, at verses three to six. First, and most basic, there is the assertion that a necessary connection exists between knowing Jesus and obeying his commandments. Knowing Jesus necessarily produces obedience. Verse four, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Second, 
It follows from this text that we can have assurance. You see, that if we truly know Jesus, if we obey his commandments, since obedience is the necessary result of knowing him. Verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. End of verse 5, this is how we know we are in him. Third, it follows from this that anyone who says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way as Jesus walked. Otherwise, you lose assurance and in the end prove that you never knew Jesus. See verse 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So if we are struggling with assurance today, let's ask ourselves, am I trying in my everyday life to live for Jesus? It's not that you will. You're bound to fail as I am. That's not the point. Is your heart your desire to follow Jesus in his steps? And then Jesus is saying that that is an evident outworking of someone who is a Christian. Now you may or you may not know that All Souls has just launched its new vision, mission aims and values. And our new vision is to be all for Jesus. Now it's aspirational. And if you ask me, Johnny, are you all for Jesus? I have to say, no, I'm not. But if you said to me, Johnny, do you want to be all for Jesus? To that I'd say, absolutely. See, John is saying here that it is not enough to say that we simply know Jesus. We must live like him. We must put into practice his commands. And as we do, as God commands, John promises something miraculous. He promises assurance. He promises a growing love for God and God for us. Take a look at verse 5. Whoever obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete. You see what he's saying here is that by cultivating a love like this, we know him. And he abides in us. Therefore, we walk as he walks, increasingly. We find ourselves increasingly having the same purpose. We become like him. So the test of righteousness is built on a firm theological fact. Knowing Christ gives rise to obedience. And from this fact comes John's doctrine of assurance. You can know that you know Christ if you obey him. And from these two truths comes the duty. Walk like Jesus. Be all for Jesus. So that's the test of righteousness. John also gives us the test of love. Now as you read through this, uh, this, this book of 1 John, you can't help but be struck by what a wonderful pastor John must have been. You know, he's a sort of pastor that you would want to go to with all your problems and you know that you'd receive nothing but a good ear listening. You'd receive love and grace and kindness. See there, verse 1, chapter 2 there, verse 1, he addresses the church as my dear children. And here in verse 7, John begins with another term of affection, dear friends or beloved friends. You know, it's apparent uh, that John's heart goes out to his readers. He knows that they're struggling, yet he loves them dearly. Which is a great segue into the second test of assurance, the test of love. 
Now you'll notice here the link between the test of righteousness and the test of love. Verse 3, the test of righteousness is the obedience, is obedience to the commandments in general. Whereas the test of love is obedience to the love commandment in particular. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So if the test of righteousness is, do we keep God's commands? The test of love is, do we seek to love people well? to deny ourselves, to put others before us, to give away ourselves. It's verses 7 to 11. Look there at verse 10. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. Now, if you're anything like me, when you first heard uh, these verses read, verses 7 and 8, you would have been slightly puzzled. Now, what sense is this love commandment new? Is love commandment old? And in what sense is it new? Well, it's old simply in the sense that they've had it from the beginning. From the beginning of what? Note the next phrase. This old command is the message you have heard. So the beginning in view here is the beginning of the, uh, the Christian life when they first heard that instruction that they should love their neighbor as themselves. But in what sense is the love command new? Verse 8, yet I am writing to you a new commandment of love. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. I want to focus for a moment on the word already. The true light is already shining. What does that mean? It must mean that a light that was expected sometime in the distant future is no longer merely a hope. It has already begun to shine. And if John was with us this lunchtime and we said to him, now what are you talking about, John? Then no doubt he would quote, probably from the Old Testament, something a verse like this from Isaiah. The sun, speaking about the future, the sun shall be no more, your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you by night, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. It's Isaiah chapter 60. You see, in the Old Testament, it was always looking forward to a day when everything would be light, when there would be no more sin, when there would be no more misery. All would be righteousness and joy in the light of God. And now John says that the true light is already shining. And we know this, don't we? We know that Jesus' light is shining already. And it's shining brightly. But look more closely at verse 8. The new command of love is seen in him and you. See, John is saying here that this true light is already shining in the world. And where do we see it? We see it in love, namely, the love which has come true in Jesus and in his transformed people. The light of God is the love, is the light of love. So when we walk into the office in the morning or join a meeting, we are to bring light. We are to shine Jesus and the way we greet people, the way that we ask them about their day. To shine Jesus in the way that we listen, take an interest in our colleagues' problems. 
to shine Jesus in the way that we are quick to serve and in the way that we don't hesitate to say sorry. Now, is this you? Then John says, this is evidence you love Jesus. It is reason to have assurance. So the reason the commandment of love is called new in verse 8 is that it is a commandment to be the new light of the world. When John says that the light which was hoped for in the distant future of the kingdom is already shining, it means that it is new. It came first in Jesus and now John commands that it come in the life of every single believer. And to picture a sunrise. I was, um, in the summer, I had a few uh, days away down in Cornwall and I got up very early one morning to watch the sun come up. It was pitch dark when I left the house. The sun rose and it was a wonderful sight. So picture that sunrise. The day of light is going to dawn one day throughout the whole world. And the first rays of that light are the love of God in Jesus Christ. The glorious kingdom of God peaked over the horizon and one beam of light shot into the darkness. That was Jesus of Nazareth. He formed a church and said, you are the light of the world. Or to put it in other words, he said, love one another as I have loved you. That is how you'll be the light. See, the love commandment is new because it is a commandment to become mirrors of the new age, which is shining over the horizon in the love of Jesus Christ. Now, do we know if we are a Christian? Do we do as Jesus commands? Do we love our colleagues and our friends and family? as we love ourselves. Now that is all well and good. Because in one sense we know this already, don't we? We know that we're supposed to do what Jesus says and we know that we're supposed to love our neighbour. But if we're absolutely honest, we struggle with with assurance in large part because we can't stop sinning. I lashed out at my colleague, actually, I upset the kids again. That's why we need to hear and receive verse 12. It's not by accident that it appears there. Your sins have been forgiven. Here is news that is almost too good to be true. See, by the grace of God, hear this, that your sins are Forgiven, paid for by the blood of Christ, shed on the cross for you. You see, you stand before your heavenly Father, loved unconditionally, welcomed continually. Know the assurance of your salvation this lunchtime. So what then is John's purpose in writing? Well, on the one hand, he's writing to give assurance. Your sins are forgiven. On the other hand, he's writing to help us not to sin. On the one hand, he's writing to remind us of what we have in Christ, to deepen our assurance of eternal life. On the other hand, he wants us to be warned against sin, to be vigilant against the temptations all around. It's why on the one hand, John says, verses 12 to 14, 
Verse 12, your sins are forgiven. Verse 13, you do know him who was from the beginning. Verse 14, you have overcome the evil one. You are forgiven. You know Christ. You have conquered the devil. So be encouraged. Abide in Christ. Use his truth and power to say no to sin. And then on the other hand, John says, verses 15 to 17, I'm writing to you to help you not to sin. It's how he introduced the chapter there in verse 1. See, John knows that we can, over, we can overcome temptation only if we feel that our sins are forgiven. Now, will a soldier have any strength and courage if he thinks his commander has lost trust in him? John knows that none of us can overcome temptation if we're seeking to do it on our own. It's why we need one another. We need fellow soldiers. We need the commander to lead the charge against our sin. We need one another to help us in this battle. We need to know that in Christ we've already conquered the enemy. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to know that we have the unconditional love of the Father. We need assurance. Because the battle against, verse 16... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is the battle of our life. A battle at one level that we are bound to lose. A battle at another level that we have already won. See, this is the reality, the beauty of assurance. Nothing can snatch us from the arms of Jesus No one can dim the light of Christ in us. You see, our faith, our hope, our assurance is not something self-generated. It is God-given, God-guaranteed. And it's not complicated, actually. As I wanted to say to my friend again and again, it's not complicated. It's really very simple. Each morning we get up, we go out into the day, knowing we are weak and knowing we are vulnerable. Seeking to bring pleasure to our Lord and Father. Asking for his strength. Knowing that we'll get things wrong. But putting our trust ultimately in faith in him. Are you seeking to do as Jesus commands? To battle your sin? Are you seeking to love others as you love yourself? Then please, rest this lunchtime in the knowledge. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus is your Lord and Saviour. Your eternal soul is guaranteed a place in heaven. Amen.